0: It's Thursday, July 29th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is Yeri Jarrow, and welcome to Empire Jeopardy, the web's most popular game show. I'm your host, and witness as the empire winds itself up and just keeps unwinding. All three contestants are back from last week. He's an urban vertical farmer from battered Washington, and winner of this year's Golden Trellis Award. Meet Jack Browndart. What's the Golden Trellis, Jack? Uh, it's the Oscar of vertical permaculture, Yeri. I wanted for growing 380 pounds of
1: Brussels sprouts up the elevator shaft of an abandoned factory. I brought some for you.
0: Thanks a bushel, Jack. He was the commander of former intelligence at Syncom Dreadcent AFPAC in Hinsville, Arkansas, but he's been picked to head the Unmanned Manpower Center at the Drone Alone Air Force Base on Grower Island, Washington. Meet Colonel Budda Braunschweig. Hey. Uh, that's quite a promotion they gave you, Colonel. You know, once I heard about my 3D PowerPoint, and had uh, <laughs> She was a loan denier for Windjammer Gorgle in Jockey Shorts, Illinois, until they kicked her upstairs to run the whole loan denial division in their tipping point Washington headquarters. Meet Swindle Lou Zimmer. Happy about the transfer, Swindaloo?
1: Working for Windjammer Gorgol is the best life sentence in the business, Mr. Yarrow.
0: Well, the rules are as simple as our returning contestants. Win two and we talk, lose two and you walk. Tie it up and we come back for more. Okay, here we go. Four out of every five...
1: What is the percentage of packaged foods that contain empty calories?
0: Uh, What is the
1: percentage of civilians collateralized by a Predator-launched Hellfire missile? uh, What is the percentage of the unemployed turned away from every job opening?
0: Right you are, Swindaloo. A lot of
1: them sleep outside my office.
0: Well, let's go again. They're invisible, hard to catch, and worth $100 billion. What's left of the salmon in
1: Alaska? Who are all the wealthy deadbeats who walked on their mortgages?
0: Who are the hundred Al
1: Qaeda bums still
0: operating in Afghanistan? Bingo,
1: Butter. <laughs> you can't find them. You can't drone them.
0: So here we are, Swindaloo and Butter. We could talk. Okay. Jack, you're one wrong answer away from walking.
1: Hey, don't sell my Birkenstock short, Gary.
0: Here it is. Last one. A clueless barfly with delusions of grandeur. Who is John Bomer? Right on, Swindaloo, it's John Bomer, the Sultan of Suntan. I speed-dated him once. Five minutes was enough. And here's what you've won, Swindy. A million dollars worth of golden sacks of crap toxic derivatives. They're perfect for wallpapering your nest egg. A complete set of the President's Heads in Chocolate from the Franklin After Dinner Mint. Mm, Just in time for my book group. And an all-expenses-paid weekend on Louisiana's Gas War Island Resort. Slip into your Hawaiian hazmat halter top, order up a couple of 30-weight mojitos on us, and chill out. Talk about a private beach, Swindy. You're the only living thing within 10 miles. I guess
1: I could take
0: off my toe. Uh, not yet. This is Jerry Jarrow, host of Empire Jeopardy, reminding you that everybody else is just a failed attempt at being us. <laughs> I'm in a groove. I'm up here on RadioFreeOz.com. I'm your Radio FreeOz host, Peter Bergman, and my co-host. David Osmond. And what is up? What is up?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Air France is up, but it's it's down. I'll tell you what happened on up Air down. France. Up down. Me. OK. The French police have arrested an Air France flight lieutenant accused of attendant accused of stealing tens of thousands of dollars in cash, travelers, checks and jewelry from dozing business class passengers on dozens of international flights.
0: Well, how did you pickpocket
1: it? Uh, the woman said they identified this suspect, a 47-year-old woman. They cross-checked all the crew manifests till they got her. They didn't disclose her name but said that investigators found stolen checks and credit cards in her home and that she was charged in 26 incidents, citing money problems. She reportedly confessed to stealing from sleeping travelers. Air <laughs> <Her> France <friends laughs> declined to comment. You see,
0: in the old <laughs> days when there was rough justice, they'd have just... just, just you know, kicked her off the plane <laughs> in, in flight out you know, you're, you're gone she, she has money problems which is that she doesn't have enough money i think that was the problem with yeah. her yes yes, uh-huh,
1: yes. Yeah. but can you imagine you go to sleep on the air france and you touch your pocket You feel, oh this beautiful uh, attendant stewardess you're just coming and feeling me up oh i will feel her up. oh where's my wallet i no, don't know no i feel pounds lighter or <laughs> <laughs> well, frank's lighter frankly
0: Well, they finally did it, and I've talked about this from the get-go, the passing, the final passing of the unemployment insurance benefit extension. It should have been a slam dunk. It was a horror show, right? Now, about 2.5 million Americans whose checks were cut off in recent months uh, will get their checks back retroactively and maybe be able to live that fine GOP high-end lifestyle on $250 a week. The 59-39 Senate vote ended an election year stalemate that caused benefits to expire for those who've been out of work the longest in the economy, where five unemployed workers are vying for each job opening. Remember that figure. It could help you win the latest episode of Empire Jeopardy. The Senate allowed the program to lapse at the end of May after Republicans and Democrats could not agree on how to cover the $34 billion cost of extending the program through November. No, it's not that they couldn't agree. The Democrats said this is no time to think about deficits. These people are suffering. We have to get them back to work. We have to put money in the economy. And the Republicans basically said, they're lazy. God has turned their face from them. Let them suffer. If you can't cover it, let's all go home and drink. Tonight, the United States Senate, this is Obama speaking, finally overcame weeks of parliamentary roadblocks by a partisan minority. He's beginning to call these bastards out and voted to restore desperately needed unemployed insurance assistance for two and a half million Americans who lost their jobs in the recession. This is Obama's statement. As 350,000 jobless Americans each week lost eligibility for payments that helped them stay afloat, lawmakers traded barbs with an eye on the November congressional elections in which Democrats are fighting to save their majorities and the economy is expected to be a top issue. Yeah, issue. It's the people that are an issue. It's not the economy that's an issue. No, 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 this is just not so. It's about people. It's not about deficits. Republicans, eyeing record budget deficits, said they were happy to extend the program as long as it was paid for by cuts elsewhere in the budget, like school lunches and children's vaccinations and veterans' death benefits and probably food for dying orphans if you look closely enough. Now, here's my favorite quote from the whole thing, from Tom Coburn, who is not burning in hell. He will, but he's not right now. Hard times require hard decisions, and what we're seeing here is the easy way out, said Republican Senator Tom Coburn. The easy way out is not to pay for this. I nominate Tom Coburn for Scrooge of the Senate. Do I hear a second? He's going to be visited, I promise you, by the three ghosts, the ghosts of America past, America present, and America in the future. And there's going to be a tiny Tim on Uncle Sam's shoulder. And this man, Tom Corbett, is going to be haunted in his dreams until he finally figures out it's about people, it's not about ideology, that you can be out of work without being a slacker. This man has got to quit the Senate and go sit somewhere and look at the end of his nose until he figures it out. Officially, there are three Tea Party wingnuts uh, running major campaigns who are all given some opportunity of winning, some some chance. One is, of course, Rand Paul, who is in like eight points up. We'll see where that goes. Another is Sharon Angle in in um, Nevada up against Harry Reid, who is losing her edge. And the third is this weird guy, Ken Buck, who's running as uh, a Colorado Republican Senate primary candidate that's given some chance. But mm-hmm. his primary took a strange turn uh, recently, David, when he told a questioner at a campaign stop that she should vote for him because I do not wear high heels. Uh, Buck was... But, 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 is it that?
1: <laughs> a vote for me is a vote against high heels? I guess so
0: Buck was apparently responding to his rival Jane Norton's recent ad blaming him for independent attacks on her. You'd think... He'd be man enough to do it himself, she said, because he was using surrogates, and the connection isn't immediately clear in the video, in which he responded to a simple question from a woman in the audience, why should you vote for me? Because I do not wear high heels. He said to laughter, she had questioned my manhood. I think it's fair to respond. He explained, I have cowboy boots. They have real bullshit on them. He used the word bullshit continuously through the talk. Uh So that makes him a real man. Yeah. Buck spokesman Owen Loftus emails, obviously the comment was made in jest after Jane questioned Ken's manhood in her new ad. The Norton campaign has routinely commented about her being a good choice because she's a woman and on her choice of shoes. This doesn't appear to be true, yeah. but why not say it, right? Why not spin it out with a couple of lies? Nobody knows. Everybody's confused. Everybody. Well, the the lies. The lies are what's happening
1: out there. You yeah. know. I mean, give me a break. The uh, the, the 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 lies in Arizona. Just a little piece from The New Yorker recently. Uh, by, by the way, I yeah. think this
0: heel may be high. The
1: high, the heel may be high? Oh, yeah, right. Well, right. as a heel, he could be high. What I
0: want to know about this guy is how did she question his manhood? I really don't know. I think he's got it on the mind all the time. I think she just called him out by his first name, and that was enough.
1: Oh, could be. Hey, Shorty. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, McCain, okay, McCain, a floor speech, defending his state's newly passed law, we've talked about it endlessly, requiring local officers to investigate individuals' immigration status, yep. uh, uh, described, quote, an unsecured border between Arizona and Mexico, which has led to violence, the worst I have ever seen, he said. This is a guy who survived a prison camp. He went on to cite numbers for illegal immigrants that appear, that apprehended last year that stagger. In fact points out, the writer in The New Yorker. Those numbers are surprising. They're sharply down, (laughs) according to the Border Patrol, by more than 60 percent since 2000 to 550,000 apprehensions last year, the lowest figure in 35 years. We have to get way back there, right? Illegal immigration, although hard to measure, has clearly been declining. The southern border, far from being unsecured, is in better shape than it has been in for years, better managed and less porous. has been the beneficiary of security budget increases since September 11th, which have helped to slow the pace of illegal entries, if not dramatically, as the economic crash did. Violent crime has followed this side of the border in southwestern border counties, dropped more than 30 percent in the past two decades. It's down in Arizona, according to FBI statistics. The four Whoa. safest big cities in the United States are San Diego, Phoenix, El Paso, and Austin, Texas. Oh, oh
0: Senator Dang Fence just got his <laughs> dang figures wrong I guess,
1: again. I guess so. Hey, it isn't hard to rewrite it, John. Just Just go Google it. Come on, Google it.
0: Uh, more commentary on this uh, unemployment extension that finally passed because it is absolutely emblematic of where we stand right now, having fallen into this endless pit of of economic collapse, which of course nobody's looking at really seriously. Nobody really really has a sense of it except a few. And there's a guy in Congress named uh, Representative Alan Grayson, right? He's the guy that. People find to be outrageous only because he's a bit of a truth teller. Grayson said on the House floor that Republicans are blocking a reauthorization of unemployment benefits—this is just before it passed—in order to resurrect the America of the 1930s. Ah, what a diorama. Ah, bring back the Dust Bowl and the Hoovervilles and the soup lines. There was no unemployment insurance back then, Grayson said, in one of the most colorful speeches on the issue. There was no state benefits back then. There was no help for the people who had no job. All they could do, like my grandfather— Grandfather in desperate straits, supporting a family of seven, was to go to the dump and desperately try to find something he could sell. That, my friends, is the America that the Republicans are trying to revive. The America of desperate straits and, for them, cheap labor. He's talking class war here. The America where people have nothing, hope for nothing, and are desperate to live to the next day. That is what the Republicans are trying to resurrect by blocking unemployment insurance day after day, week after week, and now month after month. Grayson suggested, as many Democrats have, that Republicans are unfamiliar with regular folks dealing with the job crisis. Now, I know what the Republicans are thinking, says Grayson. They're thinking, why don't they just sell some stock? Talking about the unemployed, said Grayson, who is himself a millionaire. If they're in really dire straits, maybe they could take some of their art collection and send it off to the auctioneer. And if they're in deep, deep trouble, maybe these unemployed can sell one of their yachts. And I will say this to the Republicans who have blocked this bill now for months and kept food out of the mouths of children, Grayson concluded. I will say to them now, may God have mercy on your souls. I wonder if he will. He's a pretty loving God. He's a pretty big God. So I think his tent is big enough to put those GOP hard-hearted, compassionless bastards inside. Keep them out of the rain of tears.
1: I didn't vote for Obama, um, basically because I couldn't figure out what his agenda was. He went, scream, change, 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 change what?
0: Part three of my interview with Daniel Ellsberg. What are Obama's options? How ignorant are we of the country and the culture we're occupying? Let me ask you, what options does Obama have? If you were advising Obama today, you walked into the Oval Office and said, Mr. President, here's what I think is your, here's, here's the best alternative. What would you recommend?
2: Karzai is right now the mayor of Kabul and not a very well-situated mayor at that. He has one city under his control, and that's the city, by the way, where women uh, our big concern there about uh, women's rights. It's the one city where women are doing better than they did under the Taliban. They can go to universities. They don't have to wear the burqa, although a lot of them do. Outside Kabul, women have not benefited at all. The people who are mainly supporting the warlords uh, don't throw acid so much in women's faces, but they rape them. And uh, so we, our presence there has done nothing uh, for women out there, but but kill their husbands and themselves in various uh, military operations you could keep uh, Eikenberry in effect was advising not getting out immediately and altogether he didn't even raise that possibility he said don't put more people in and that meant essentially don't pretend that you control much more than Kabul or one or two other cities perhaps Kandahar or, (coughs) or a couple of others Uh, Do not do search-and-destroy operations in effect in the countryside. Don't go out looking for Taliban in places where they and their cousins and families totally control, and they are the government. Uh, You leave that to them, essentially. and uh, uh, Stop combat operations in those places. Withdraw to the places where you have, essentially, already a degree of control, and negotiate with the Taliban uh, the best deal you can get about sharing uh, government responsibilities in there in that country which is very decentralized by nature and by history and don't pretend you have one central government that controls the whole country uh, basically stop killing Afghans stop creating recruits for your resistance and uh, negotiate. negotiate with the in, including by the way, all the parties there who are involved, um,
0: including Pakistan, right?
2: Pakistan and uh, the Taliban, in definitely including the Taliban. and uh, uh, India is involved, China is involved. Russia is uh, is in the neighborhood.
0: Saudi um, Arabia, yeah, 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 Iran, they're all That's, involved.
2: Yeah. the best the best arrangement you can to stop this war, cut your losses, Uh, do not pretend, which is a pure pretense, that your prospects five years from now and 10 years from now and 30 years from now of fighting are going to be any better than they are now. Stop pretending that you're going to build a situation of strength uh, when what you're doing is building a situation of strength for the other side that matches yours and ensures a bloody, endless stalemate. That's what we could have decided uh, 10 years ago, could have decided years and years and years before we finally did in Vietnam. And you get a better deal now uh, when you do have a degree of an Afghan army, mainly uh, confronting the Taliban, before you have done more operations that simply strengthen the Taliban.
0: Let me ask you one more question. Let us say they don't take your good advice, and they continue on.
2: way, that's Eikenberry's. What I'm saying is (laughs) I'm no expert on on (laughs) Afghanistan. I'm simply saying as somebody who saw the same process, and I did see that one up close in Vietnam, and it looks very similar to me, it makes very plausible the advice given by General Eikenberry. Oh, by the way, and one irony here is all the rumors in the uh, papers are that uh, McChrystal having gone, some other people ought to go too, and they're talking about getting rid of Eikenberry, the one guy who... Told good truth to the president. He's the one they want
0: to get rid of. And we must remember that Carl Eikenberry is one of our few soldier-scholar diplomats. He's West Point. He's he's a uh, uh, Princeton, Harvard, and and speaks fluent Mandarin. He's he's qualified as a Mandarin translator. This is a man of the world who can write and think and fight if necessary. And to get rid of him, I think that's the worst decision Obama. I'm a large Obama supporter generally, but in this case, I think the man has been overwhelmed by too much fruit salad on too many generals chests or something's something's well, going I just wrong
2: learned something I, I didn't know that he spoke mandarin now i do have to say it's not obvious to me that's the highest qualification for his being ambassador in afghanistan but uh, but he, he, here's an interesting thing about i learned recently about afghanistan i've started asking people what do they speak in afghanistan what are the languages i don't want to embarrass you, but do you happen to know what the languages are, the two main languages? Well, I think
0: kind of? Pashtun is one of them, I believe.
2: Good, good. That's better than nearly everybody. That's Pashtun
0: good. and the other but, the other language, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I, it. It doesn't come to mind. I've seen it at points. What is it?
2: Okay, it's not Mandarin. No, uh, of course right. not. No. Uh, and it's not Arab. No. As uh, many people guess, it's known as Dari, which is the uh, name given there to Eastern Farsi and Farsi, of course, is Persian, Iranian, in other words. And uh, okay, these are two different languages. What struck me about it is I found nobody who can really, who generally knows even one of those, let alone two. And it struck me that whereas in Vietnam we didn't speak the language Vietnamese, but really everybody knew what the language was. Yes. And in Afghanistan, we're talking about remaking a country totally revising its its uh, uh, culture, really, and its uh, governance and everything else about it, a country where we don't even know what the language we don't speak is. Yeah. We don't know what language, what, pe- most Americans wouldn't know what dictionary to buy if they were going to Afghanistan. Correct. But it seems to me symbolic of a really high degree of ignorance about a country we're, we're messing about in and killing people in.
1: Hi, this is Sharzad Hackerthumb, and I play the teenage barista at the Useless Boy Café on Tipping Point, Radio Free Oz's new seaside soap opera. I listen to Radio Free Oz because I pick up the occasional useful Yiddish term. I know that the executives at Goldman Sachs of Crap are not simply thieves and criminals, they're mumsers and tumblers. John Bomer isn't just a witless hand puppet, he's a schmendrick. And the vice principal at my middle school is a schmohawk. When one of the stuck up girls in my class gave me grief, I told her to stop being such a schmageggy. She said I was putting a curse on her. Maybe I was. This is Sharzad Hacker Thumb, and you've got awes in your ears.
0: Okay, one of the jobs of a governor of any state is to be the booster of the state. Sure, You want to bring business in. You want to make it look good. That's one of the things you do. In fact, uh-huh. it, it, it's well known, right? Well, our corn is
1: the best. Our ham is the saltiest, yeah, whatever. Whatever, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah.
0: In her quest to show why Arizona needs a tough immigration law, Governor Jan Brewer, becoming one of my most popular wingnuts, uh-huh. has pulled off an awesome rhetorical feat. She has rebranded the entire state. Arizona is no longer the sun-drenched, home of the Grand Canyon, golf courses and retirees exulting in 100-degree lethargy. Arizona, in Brewster's telling, is a cross between a mccormick mccarthy novel and road warrior Taken together brewer speeches campaign commercials and fox news appearances Mm -hmm. offer a stern rebuke to anyone who thinks arizona is a tranquil place arizona arizona see i'm already confused brewer told fox news is a battlefield it is the drug corridor of the world she said phoenix home to four pro sports teams and a well-regarded trolley museum is our nation's kidnapping capital according to a brewer (laughs) campaign ad Brew has been a relentless chronicler of Arizona's porous border with Mexico, which we've just found out, of course, is not true, which she said allows a daily invasion by undocumented immigrants. Who are the undocumented? The majority are drug mules, she says. Others are human traffickers, and still others carry big, strong, dangerous AK-47s.
1: Ah, I wonder where they
0: make those. Uh, you know, that's a good point. Do mm-hmm. they think they make them just over the border in Mexico, or do they import them from Guatemala or Russia or China?
1: I think Hartford, New Jersey is yeah, well, probably a good— uh, Hunter, New yeah, Hartford, New yeah, Jersey, outside of the border absolutely. and
0: come across. And then, of course, there's all the headless immigrants she talks about that nobody can find. Oh, I
1: thought those were the headless farmers that had been beheaded by the headless immigrants that well, came across the border. They just
0: can't count the heads to find
1: Half out. Half of those people are picking— Whatever needs to be picked in this state and several others. And And, we'll be doing it for the rest of the summer and
0: autumn. And the only thing that Jan Brewer is picking is a fight.
1: Escaping away from it all. Going to my summer home.
0: High in the mountains.
1: All alone. Out of the daily drone. Safe and secure. Enough food for a week or two. Just going to take it easy. Fishing. About all I'll do. Not a word in the world, except where they're abitin' and what I'm abating. Summer home, mountain location. Far away from the city, no more bumper-to-bumper jet noise. No more business with the boys. Summer home, summer home. Someday it'll be just you and me. In the meantime, I'll just keep putting in my time down at the nuclear bomb factory, hopin' I
0: catch the big one before the big one gets me. This is from a very interesting webzine that I go to now and then called Tom's Dispatch. One moment, there was the hum of a motor in the sky above the next on a recent morning in Afghanistan's Helmand province, a missile blasted a home killing 13 people. Days later, the same increasingly familiar mechanical whine preceded a two-missile salvo that slammed into a compound in Dagon Village in the tribal North Waziristan district of Pakistan, killing three. What were once unacknowledged, relatively infrequent targeted killings of suspected militants or terrorists in the Bush years have become commonplace under the Obama administration. And if you'll remember earlier on Radio Friaz, I think in what we called reaming Obama a new perspective number one or two, we said, hey, Barack, hey, Mr. P., hey, Mr. Messiah, this is state terrorism. And since a devastating December 30th suicide attack by a Jordanian double agent on a CIA forward operating base in Afghanistan, unmanned aerial drones have been hunting humans in the AFPAC war zone at a record pace. In Pakistan, an unprecedented number of strikes, which have killed armed guerrillas and civilians alike, yeah, kill them all, let God sort them out, have led to more fear, anger, and outrage in the tribal areas as the CIA, with the help of the U.S. Air Force, wages the most public secret war of modern times. In neighboring Afghanistan, unmanned aircraft for years in short supply and tasked primarily with surveillance missions have increasingly been used to assassinate suspected militants as part of an aerial surge that has significantly outpaced the highly publicized surge of ground forces now underway. And yet, unprecedented as it may be in size and scope, the present ramping up of the drone war is only the opening salvo in a planned 40-year Pentagon surge to create fleets of ultra-advanced, heavily armed, increasingly autonomous, all-seeing, hypersonic, unmanned aerial systems. Drones are the hot weapons of the moment and the upcoming Quadrennial Defense Review, a soon-to-be-released four-year outline of Department of Defense strategies, capabilities, and stupidities to fight current wars and counter future threats, is already known to reflect this focus. As the Washington Post recently reported, the pilotless drones used for surveillance and attack missions in Afghanistan and Pakistan are a priority with the goals of speeding up the purchase of new Reaper drones and expanding Predator and Reaper drone flights through 2013. It's going to become increasingly difficult to beat the Reaper. The MQ-1 Predator, first used in Bosnia and Kosovo in the 1990s, and its newer, larger, and more deadly cousin, the MQ-9 Reaper, are now firing missiles and dropping bombs at an unprecedented pace. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan, the U.S. Air Force has instituted a much-publicized decrease in piloted airstrikes to cut down on civilian casualties as part of Afghan War Commander Or. Former Afghan War Commander General Stanley McChrystal's counterinsurgency strategy. At the same time, however, UAS attacks have increased to record level. Drones, drones, drones. I hate them. They're they're wrong. They should be outlawed. And worst of all, as someone who was in the Army, I was no great grunt, but I was in the Army, I know cowardice when I see it. And death at a distance... Is nothing but state-sponsored cowardice.
1: Take a little memory and you wrap it up in cloth, tie it up a string, whisper something soft through the crack in the back door out into the air. misteriosos revelados del campo retire de la maldad trujo poderoso chengo macho buenos sueños convertidos en realidad buenos sueños convertidos en realidad
0: You know that Sunday sun Then we'll go marching baby one by one Start by calling you
1: Start by calling you Start by calling you Start by calling you. But you watch them when they go. You stare into their eyes, and everybody knows the fire in the hearts is theirs alone. You never see 'em coming, but you watch watching when they go. A star by sueños convertidos en realidad
0: buenos sueños como en realidad The Washington Post, in a a quite remarkable series, tells us that the top secret world the government created in response to the terrorist attacks of 9-11 have become so large, so unwieldy, and so secretive that no one knows how much money it costs, how many people it employs, how many programs exist within it, or exactly how many agencies do the same work. Sounds like Kafka's castle to me. These are some of the findings of a two-year investigation by the Washington Post that discovered what amounts to an alternative geography of the United States, a top-secret America hidden from public view and lacking in thorough oversight. After nine years of unprecedented spending and growth, the result is that the system put in place to keep the United States safe is so massive that its effectiveness is impossible to determine. (laughs) The investigation's findings include, one— some 1,271 government organizations and 1,931 private companies work on programs related to counterterrorism, homeland security, and intelligence in about 10,000 locations across the United States. There's probably one of these spooks next door. An estimated 854,000 people, nearly 1.5 times as many people as live in Washington, D.C., hold top secret security clearances. In Washington and the surrounding areas, 33 building complexes for top secret intelligence work are under construction or have been built since September 2001. Together, they occupy the equivalent of almost three pentagons or 22 U.S. Capitol buildings, about 17 million square feet of space filled with secrecy. Secrecy means it's basically impossible for one person from office to office to know what the other guy's name is or what he's doing. Many security and intelligence agencies do the same work, uh, the Post discovered. Really? creating redundancy and waste. For example, 51 federal organizations and military commands operating in 15 U.S. cities track the flow of money to and from terrorist networks. Analysis who make sense of documents and conversations obtained by foreign and domestic spying share their judgment by publishing 50,000 intelligence reports each year, a volume so large that many are routinely ignored. Probably 48, 49,000 of them. The other 1,000, people chuckle over them, sitting next to Barfly Bomer at some uh, Georgetown pub. These are not academic issues. Lack of focus, not lack of resources, was at the heart of the Fort Hood shooting that left 13 dead, as well as the Christmas Day bomb attempt, thwarted not by the thousands of analysts employed to find lone terrorists, but by an alert airline passenger who saw smoke coming from his seatmate. You know, that, that's good, man. You don't need a high security clearance to recognize the guy next to you is smoking. Something's wrong. He's lit his shoes. He's lit his pants. He's a bomb! There's been so much growth since 9-11 that getting your arms around that, not just the DNI, Director of National Intelligence, but for any individual, for the Director of the CIA, for the Secretary of Defense, is a challenge says Defense Secretary Robert M. Gates. He said in an interview recently, it's a challenge. He should have said an impossible, unnecessary, useless, and stupid challenge. In the Department of Defense, there are more than two-thirds of the intelligence programs. That's where they reside. Only a handful of senior officials, called super-users, have the ability to even know about all the department's activities. But as two of the super-users indicated in interviews, there is simply no way they can keep up with the nation's most sensitive work. I, I want that to be my nickname. You know, don't call me Ace. Don't call me Speedo. Don't call me Petey Boy. Just call me Super User. I, I kind of like it. It's got a nice ring. All right. So they—they they, one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. It says, "I'm not going to live long enough to be briefed on everything." Was one house. One how? One Super User put it. The other recounted that for his initial briefing, he was escorted into a tiny dark room, seated at a small table, and told he couldn't take notes. Program after program began flashing on the screen, he said, until he yelled, stop in frustration. Defense Secretary Gates, in his interview with The Post, said that he does not believe the system has become too big to manage, but that getting precise data is sometimes difficult. Man, this is a bureaucrat. This is a man that the Obama White House must love. I mean, he can put a neutral, dull, boring spin on the most ridiculous, difficult things singling out the growth of intelligence units in the Defense Department, he said he intends to review those programs for waste. No, he's going to waste his time reviewing them. He'll already be dead twice over by the time he even gets through the index. Nine years after 9-11, it makes a lot of sense to sort out what's going on. Okay, we've built tremendous capability, but do we have more than we need, he said. Can I answer that for you, Bob? Now, Liberty Crossing is at the center of the collection of U.S. government agencies and corporate contractors that mushroomed after the 2001 attacks. But this is not merely the biggest, the most costly, or even the most secretive part of the 9-11 enterprise. In an Arlington County office building, the lobby directory doesn't include the Air Force mysteriously named x O-I-W-S unit. What does X-O-I-W-S mean? Well, they don't want us to know. What starts with an X anyway? But there's a big welcome sign in the hallway greeting visitors who know to step off the elevator on the third floor. In Elkridge, Maryland, a clandestine program hides in a tall concrete structure fitted with false windows to look like a normal office building. Well, the people that come out have been fitted to look like normal people, too. And they're not! In Arnold, Missouri, the location is across the street from a target and a home depot in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a modest brick bungalow in a rundown business park. Oh man, this is this is the stuff of Ridley Scott. This is not exactly President Dwight D Eisenhower's military- industrial complex, which emerged with the Cold War and uh, centered on building nuclear weapons to deter the Soviet Union. This is a national security enterprise with a more amorphous mission defeating transnational violent extremists. Much of the information about this mission is classified. That's the reason it's so hard to kind of assess just how successful it may be. At least 20% of the government organizations that exist to fend off terrorist threats were established or refashioned in the wake of 9-11. Many of them existed before the attacks grew to historic proportions, as the Bush administration and Congress gave agencies more money than they were capable of responsibly spending. Why am I not surprised? Okay, Dave, Oakland, California, number one. The Oakland City Council has adopted a plan to license four production facilities where medical marijuana would be grown, packaged, and processed. The move makes Oakland the first city in the nation to license wholesale pot cultivation. Supporters of the measure say it would generate millions of dollars for Oakland in taxes and sales, create hundreds of jobs and positions, Oakland's, to reap the dividends if voters pass a November initiative to legalize recreational use of marijuana. My favorite part of the story, Mm -hmm. opponents say it would drive small growers out of business. (laughs) So, man, it's the new GOP. Well, we're man, the small uh, business party.
1: Yeah, we're really man. I got uh, you know, I got uh, uh, six plants. And how can I make any money on this man? No, that's it's. Uh, they're, they're finally this. This could have happened in 1971 when California was very close to passing. Uh, uh, Alan Sarodi was the guy, and yep. he used to very close to passing all of this legalization, in which case we would have saved. Innumerable lives, billions of dollars, and people could just go on smoking the grass. You know, I mean, you remember in Los Angeles when they used to have a great big bakery down there near Culver City, and you drive, you'd be three or four blocks and away. You could from smell it. Helm's Bakery. Mm, it oh. was so
0: good. That well, smell. now <laughs> they're going to be these big pot plant factories. Mach- mmm, mm, I
1: visited mm. Oakland. Mm.
0: Mendo, bendo, it's da kind. Oh. Part four of my interview with Daniel Ellsberg, what is the end game? How long will we be there? Well, let me ask you this. If indeed we continue the strategy that we're, that seems to be where Obama's going, what do you see as the end game? What's going to happen to us in Afghanistan? Do you have any idea? Do you have a vision of the yeah, end? Yeah, no,
2: I have a, a fairly clear idea, I would say. As I see, uh, on the one hand, uh, uh, Obama spending months fighting against, I imagine, but, his, uh, but uh, nevertheless compelled to give in to the military, to McChrystal and Petraeus, on sending not all the troops they wanted at first, 80,000, but sending thirty, forty thousand 40,000 troops there now. I see them uh, moving toward getting rid of the one guy who foresaw this, clearly, Eikenberry, in favor of <coughs> Petraeus, who uh, uh, has sold the army on this counterinsurgency doctrine and really gotten it went into a doctrine which was by the way my job in vietnam to learn and to promulgate the doctrines of counterinsurgency and i i got to know a lot about that in vietnam here. i see it has no promise whatever in afghanistan but i predict it's going to be applied for a while and so i think the likely not certain but the likely trajectory in afghanistan is going to be more of the same and by that i don't just mean the continuation of what we're doing but the escalation genuinely more not only is obama and even biden now backing away from this supposed july 2011 date for beginning to withdraw troops in afghanistan which i may say i never believed in for a moment I believe that what's going to happen is not just that we're only going to withdraw a few troops in July, as Biden just said, not as he was earlier saying a month earlier, a lot of troops. I think that's going to be illusory altogether. Uh, As they withdraw some troops, they will shortly be putting in more troops. And I expect uh, over time the military to be requesting Uh, More of that 80,000 they originally requested, uh, 40,000 is not enough, and 80,000 is not enough. And if and when, which is very problematic, they begin to withdraw troops significantly more from Iraq, which is not going to meet schedule either, but those troops are going to go to Afghanistan. And I still think that two years from now, uh, there will be more troops in Afghanistan than there are one year from now, and more than there are now. It's going to be a rising, escalating stalemate, as was the case in, Viet- in Vietnam. It's going to be an increasingly bloody stalemate. Uh, they're even now talking about more U.S. troops than ever before. I think it's some 33 or something in the last month. Well, that's still a small number. Uh, by these standards. It's going to get larger, and it's going to go on. It's going to bleed like the Gulf oil spill, I think, below the surface.
0: For quite a long time. What an image! And you know, Dan, the difference is, is that in Vietnam, you had a national. You were fighting an actual army. It was an. There was an actual war going on. It wasn't an occupation, the way this is. This really isn't a war. This is an armed occupation, and there's there's really no real enemy. Yeah, the Taliban are the enemy, but you know, they live there, and you know, you can be a Taliban one day and an opium grower the next. You can make those kind of choices. How you know where does it end? There, there is no embassy to fly off of right there there are no helicopters to dump in the ocean how do we leave
2: no the uh, okay let me disagree with you a little on that Please. on that person I think the, the it's really closer to Vietnam although it hasn't yet reached the scale of Vietnam uh, in casualties on our side uh, but I think it's closer than you suggest there Really, Vietnam was pretty much an occupation. Yes, there were regions we didn't go into very much, but that's true in Afghanistan as well. There are regions that are no go. Uh, uh, Plus, in fact, this movie that I can recommend, Restrepo, named after uh, an outpost named after one of the first Americans to be killed uh, in that unit. Well, it's very, you look at that, you see nothing worthwhile happening, dying and killing going on. Horrible physical efforts being made in this uh, unforgiving uh, environment. After a year, after a year, they live. Te- they leave, telling themselves at the end of the movie uh, that they've accomplished something, which the viewer hasn't noticed. You know, nothing has changed. And the end of the movie is, and then the U.S. Army abandoned the Korengal Valley. You know, a little bit later, meaning they left it to the Afghans, this Afghanistan. Uh, Yeah, that's the way it was eventually in Vietnam, and that's the way it's going to be in Afghanistan. We will eventually leave Afghanistan, but I'll tell you, I don't think it will be in 10 years the way it was in Vietnam. Vietnam was not in the middle of the uh, oil region of the world. A place that we really want to have bases there for a very long time. It was nice to have Cameron Bay, but we've lived very well without it. Uh, we really want bases in Afghanistan, as in Iraq, and I don't think because of the oil. Not in Afghanistan, but oil is the is is on the route, the pipeline route, and so forth, for the, from the uh, <coughs> Central Asian states, the stands, and so forth, and they want those bases there. I think the bases were likely to be there for not just for 10 years, but 20, 30 years. It can go on indefinitely. There's an outside chance, and I allow for that, that an American people will do what they're not doing now and wake up from this dream of empire and this, this willingness to spend indefinite amounts of money. And we're talking now what I guess Everett Dirksen would call real money. You remember his phrase, a billion here and a billion there, and before long you're talking about real money. Well, uh, now it has to be half a trillion. Well, that's right. That's what Afghanistan is going to be, and eventually a trillion. And in, in Iraq, this at a time when we can't afford unemployment insurance for the largest amount of unemployed we've had for many years, Uh, We can't afford that. We don't have the money. We have the money to spend uh, dropping white phosphorus in the Corangal Valley, which I just saw in the movie the other day. A million dollars a soldier to keep them over there because every gallon of gas has to be taken over um, little mountain roads that can be cut from any hour of the day by the Taliban to keep them from doing it. I suppose you're aware, maybe not all your listeners were. The way we get that gas in there is by contractors who bring it in on convoy, and the contractors get it over because they pay a fee to the Taliban to keep from ambushing it. Now, the fee comes from the American taxpayers uh, and goes to the Taliban, and the reason we use contractors for it instead of army is it's less embarrassing Uh, to know secretly that we are paying uh, bribes to the Taliban through a contractor, it's kind of a cutout, uh, rather than paying directly by some uniformed sergeant. So uh, we really are supporting the Taliban with those fees we're paying over there. But meanwhile, the fees make the gallon of gas extraordinarily costly. So for this... We are spending literally hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, leading up to billions and trillions, uh, for that useless conflict over there at a time when, just about if we were making the comparison, anyone in the country could see we can't afford that. We can't afford that. Usually the U.S. doesn't have to think about wars, you know, we're so rich that uh, we can have guns and butter, well, that's not the way it is now. And that war is one that we should be asking ourselves not only the question, which I I say I focus on, why are we killing those people and why are we dying, but also can we really afford to be doing this? These murders are costing too much.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Panetta said that there's only a hundred Al Qaeda left in Afghanistan. We spend a hundred billion a year. That's a billion in Al Qaeda. It's a lot of money.
2: Well, remember, it's not only it's not only Afghanistan. They're right on the borders of Pakistan. Of so As Panetta was asked the other day, well, how many how many um, if there's only a hundred or less than a hundred in Afghanistan, how many are in Pakistan, where we're sending the drones and so forth? So the answer was. Uh, more, more. Well, how many more? Well, you know, not a lot. Some more. How many more? Several hundred. So there's a hundred Al Qaeda we're fighting with a hundred and thirty, hundred and thirty thousand troops we're gonna have in uh, in Afghanistan. That's uh, that's a thousand to one, isn't it? And uh, and there's several hundred in Pakistan. And more growing well, as we, we speak. We don't have any troops in Pakistan yet, just drones. Yeah. But there will be troops in Pakistan. Yeah. The, the board, it will seep over the border. There will be raids into Pakistan. And we'll be fighting a war in Pakistan against those several hundred al-Qaeda yet.
0: Dan, can I ask you one one other thing, which is not which is not uh, specific to this, but I, and and if if you wish to talk about it, I know that you're working on a book right now, and I I wondered if you might be able to tell us a little bit about what's going on. Is that okay? Well,
2: that's another yeah. <laughs> horrible story. So, but well, it's about the risks of nuclear war, which I think are very very underestimated oh. by everyone. From my experience, which. Before I worked in Vietnam, I was working on problems of nuclear war, command and control of nuclear weapons, nuclear war plans, possibilities of unauthorized action, and those risks I say have always been much greater than people outside the system were allowed to know so i, I 'm writing a book that 's sort of in the the analogy I can draw is of someone from an insider from b p British Petroleum. Writing about the real risks of a deep water oil spill before it happened, uh-huh. or Katrina before New Orleans was drowned, and it's not a popular subject, I'm afraid. But uh, who knows? Maybe
0: it'll lower the danger. Well, we certainly hope so. You've done that before, Dan Ellsberg. It's it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I hope we have the opportunity of of speaking with you again on Oz. It's it's really been quite wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for having me. Bye.
1: Because of us. It's morning in America. Breakfast, honey? Thanks. Hey, is this real pork? Because of us, people in the Great Plains are just plain doing things. Little things, like taking money from machines. Hey, hey stop kid, I'm not a machine. (laughs) Because of us, they're roasting East Coast marshmallows on the West Coast. Wow, these taste like pork. We're the people of US Plus. Guess what we do? Chemistry, transportation.
0: Pork? (laughs) Kind of. U.S. Plus. We own the idea of America. Well, today was a day of waking up from the dream of empire, a la Daniel Ellsberg. So now that we've woken up from it, what will we dream of when we go back to sleep? (laughs) Maybe something from the Tang Boys.
1: Well, here's, here's a little meditation by Lee Ho. Sorrow on the mountain. A misty rain. Falling in withered grass. Midnight in the capital. How many men are growing old in this wind? Evening. I get lost on small trails that twist through gnarled black oaks. Straight overhead, the moon drives shadows back to their trees, whitens the hills with false dawn. Torches welcome the newly dead over the fresh graves, fireflies.
0: Fireflies, light the way for another Radio Free Oz up here on RadioFreeOz.com. On the Oz team, let's list them. Peter Bergman, say Moi, your host. David Osmond, say Louis, your co host. Ah, Louis. Hey, Louis. Bill McIntyre is our producer. Dave Maloney is our audio engineer and the man that makes Blue You possible. Tom Goodwillow keeps the website humming. Scott Wilde keeps the connection. Chaz Glass keeps the figures. And Phil Fountain keeps it pretty. See you again soon upon soon.